So it was about seven years ago, if my memory is correct, about seven years ago, I was a contractor. I was doing masonry, and, and uh, this was before I was doing some radon work, so it was 2008 or so. And everybody remembers 2008, there was kind of the crash, and being a, a contractor, work basically stopped. You know, homes were being foreclosed on, and so as hard as I tried, I couldn't find work. And maybe you guys have been there. I worked really hard. I did all I could do. I was going job site to job site. If I saw construction, I would pull over and say, hey, you guys need concrete? You guys need stone? I'd just go hand out. I was doing everything I could do. And my life, my history is I'm just going to work hard and get things done. And that's what I was used to. And here I am doing all I can, and I can't pay my bills. You know, our, we were trying to work on a refi on our home. Uh, we were on food stamps. And we were just, I was stressed. Uh, maybe that's where a few of my gray hairs came from. There's not very many. But, but I remember being very stressed and anxious. And I, I remember one day walking in the front driveway, and I was thinking, man, what am I going to do? You know, where, where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? I can't do anything else. And Philippians came to mind. The passage that says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And, and I thought about that, and God just kind of spoke to me. He lifted a mirror up, and he said, why are you worried? What good are you anyway in, on your own? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm not much good on my own, but in you I have everything. And this mirror kind of came up, and I saw this worried, anxious man stressing rather than having faith in the God who died on the cross for me, the God who gives me life. And right then, everything changed in my heart. I didn't have work. I didn't have money. <laughs> But everything in my heart changed. And that peace that passes understanding flooded over me. And eventually, you know, things turned around and I got some work. But there was a period there where it still didn't. But I, I wasn't stressed. To be honest, I thought, man, if we lose the home, fine. We can sit under a tree to shade us from the sun and the rain if needed. And God will provide that. God says he'll give us all that we need, not all that we want. So if we don't have cars, great, we'll walk to the store, whatever. But I just had this peace. Because of Jesus, the promises he's made. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever wondered how you're going to make it and you've turned to Jesus? If not, I want you to learn that. Now, I just told you a quick short story about how God showed up in my life and I, I reaped the benefits. That was pretty easy, wasn't it? Were you guys bored while I was telling that story? Probably not. Kind of, you related, interesting. The reason I, I started with that is our topic today is evangelism. We're talking about evangelism, and we make evangelism a lot harder than it needs to be. We're all pretty good storytellers, and all evangelism is is telling a story. You guys all, when we get into conversations, we basically take turns telling stories, don't we? Hey, yesterday I did this, and we tell you about what happened yesterday, and then you, that reminds you of a story, and you tell me about some dumb thing you did in college. And we're just used to telling stories, and that's all evangelism is, is telling a story or two. And so that's what we're focusing on today. Now, uh, we know if you've been coming here very long or even a few weeks, you probably understand. Here's our mission, to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. That's our mission. We want to see people come to Christ and grow up in him. Our purpose is, is to be in relationship with God and with each other. Remember, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm making a couple assumptions today before we start talking about evangelism, and it's this. One, most of us here are committed followers of Jesus Christ. If you're not, 
welcome. I'm glad you're here, and I hope that you hear the heart of God here and come to know Jesus as your Savior. But we haven't launched yet, and so we're, we're trying to train. So I'm assuming you are a follower of Jesus. The second assumption is this, that you know our mission, that you agree that our mission is to go make disciples. A lot of Christians won't agree that that's our, our mission, or they don't think we really need to be going and doing that. We should just get together and do, I don't know, potlucks. I'm assuming you understand our mission is to go make a difference, to change the world for him. I'm assuming that. And then here's the third assumption. I'm assuming that you desire an intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm assuming, not that you're perfect, <laughs> but I'm assuming that you want to grow in Jesus Christ because anything that we do of value in this life is simply an overflow of what God is doing in us. So if you aren't pursuing God in a love relationship, then doing this evangelism, it, it's pointless. It's just, it's duty. <laughs> it's a burden to do it. So I'm assuming that you understand that our pri priority in life is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, to love him. And how we do that is spending time with him, basically. That's why we spent so much time talking about prayer, because that's how we spend time with God. That's why on the back there, we have devotionals. They're awesome, written by Hope Church down in Las Vegas, so that you can day by day spend time with Jesus. And as you do that, then he will fill you up and you will overflow and evangelism is one of those things. Being a witness is one of those things that will overflow. The reason I'm starting with that assumption is I don't want anybody in here to sit and go, okay, now this is something I need to go do in my own strength. Because you'll fail, you'll be stressed, you'll be anxious, you won't be at peace about it. It starts with our walk with Jesus. That's why our three key relationships, they're up there in the back. One, up with God. Primary, you know, that's our primary relationship. Everything else flows out. The second one is in with fellow believers in community. The third is out with the world. If we don't have up with God, it's worthless. If we don't have in with each other, we have nowhere to bring people that respond to the gospel. <laughs> you know, we have, there's a, a community we'll, we want to bring them into and then out. If we're not going on mission, we're missing a vital part of our relationship with God. So these next few Sundays, next Sunday, we're out serving. And then this Sunday and the two Sundays after that is going to be kind of a how-to workshop on evangelism so don't miss it come uh i'm hoping that this is going to be extremely helpful for you not just knowledge but give you some some tools of what to do now what do we think of when we think of evangelism a lot of us think of it as the e word <laughs> the the one thing that we don't really want to do that's the one part of christianity that we wish was left out because in our minds a lot of us we have the picture of evangelism of door-to-door -door, knocking on doors cold call giving people a tract and trying to convince them to follow jesus and I did this in, in college. I was on the evangelism team, and we went down to the boardwalk in Santa Monica, and we would just try and find people to have conversations with and lead the conversation to Jesus. And that's great to do that, but that's not for everybody. And, and honestly, most people that are saved, that's not how they get saved. Again, I'm not saying don't do that, but that's not the only evangelism. The, the second one, when we think of evangelism, is maybe somebody on the street corner, you know, on their soapbox just yelling, you know, the end is near, turn to God, he's coming back, and you're all going to hell. And that's, that's really not evangelism either. I mean, I guess it, it could be, but so we have a wrong view of evangelism. Here is what evangelism is. We're going to define it, we're going to talk about the purpose of it, and then we're going to go into some hands-on with it. Evangelism... Uh, simply means to proclaim good news. You guys know the word gospel, which is the good news of a, of a king, the good news of Jesus Christ. The word evangelism and the word gospel are the same root word in the Greek. 
but evangelism is kind of the verb tense of gospel. The gospel is the good news. Evangelism is the good news in verb, go do this, go share it, evangelize, tell people the message of Jesus Christ. This is in your notes. If you're a note taker, it's on your, your bulletin there. Um, what is evangelism? Evangelism is the spirit-led, again, starts up with God, the spirit-led communication of the gospel, of the kingdom, in such a way or ways that recipients have a valid opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and become responsible members of his church. That is a really good definition. I didn't write it. It's from a Bible dictionary, <laughs> and I looked it up. It's really good. Everything's in there. Let me read that again. Evangelism is the spirit-led communication of the gospel of the kingdom in such a way or ways that recipients have a valid opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and become responsible members of his church. Why are we commanded to evangelize? Why should the church be doing evangelism? Luke 19.10, Jesus said this, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus said his mission was to seek and save the lost. That was one of his missions, but that was a big mission for him, to seek and save the lost. This is in your notes. The salvation of souls was and is Jesus' mission. By the way, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is risen, and he is carrying on his mission. Still, the same mission, to seek and save the lost. And then John 20, 21. Jesus said this to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, and we already saw what God, the Father sent him to do, seek and save the lost, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus received his mission from God to seek and save the lost, and he passed that mission on to his disciples. So here's in your notes, Jesus has commissioned us to share in his mission. Remember, it's his mission, and we share in it. So real quick, if you don't have a desire for the lost, if you don't have a heart to see people come to Christ, here's what you need to do. You need to spend time with God. You need to get to know Jesus Christ. And as you get to know God better through his word, then he's going to grow you inside. And all of a sudden, there's going to be something flowing out of this love for others that you're not even going to really understand where it comes from. And I know this from my experience. When I have days where I'm kind of focused on me and I'm selfish and I'm not spending time with God, I don't care all that much for people, <laughs> to be honest. But the, the days when, when, when day after day I'm spending time in, in the Word, when I'm pursuing God, not because good Christians read their Bible, be, but because I want to know Him. And I'll turn, I mean, yesterday I turned to a psalm and just listen, and, and, and he, he writes out, Lord, I love you. David writes this, Lord, I love you, and he explains why, and I just read that, and oh, all of a sudden, there's a love for others. So I go into the grocery store, and I see somebody, I actually care about that person. You know, I go into Starbucks, and here's a police officer, you know, in front of the line, and he goes to buy his drink, and I pay for it. Well, some days I wouldn't do that, but the days when I'm in tune with God, I just want to love the people around me. So what I'm saying is, if you don't have a heart for evangelism, don't just go do it in your own strength. Connect with God. This is what we started with before. Connect with Him, and He will stir in you. There is an aspect of obeying, and as we obey, He gives us the heart, but it's not a legalistic duty to be right with God. I want you to get that. So, I just proved to you, evangelism is God's mission. Evangelism is our mission. Now, how do we do it? How do we take the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, to others? 1 Corinthians 9.22 is our starting point. 
This is Paul writing, and he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, up here we have the New Living Translation, and I'm going to read that one. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. That's where the name of our church comes from, that verse right there, common ground. We want to find common ground with people. Why? So that we might save some. So that we might save some. You know, I took a a missions class in in seminary, and what they said is if you're going to be a foreign missionary and you go into a culture, you need to know who it is in that culture you want to reach and live like they live. So if you want to reach a lower class, you don't move into a city and start living with the upper class or the expats and try and then go into there. You go and you live like they live. You eat what they eat. That's what they even said. You eat the food they eat. You get sleeping patterns like they have. So if they have, you know, if you go to France and they have dinner at 10 at night, well, you need to start having dinner at 10 at night. So, you you know, you can relate. You find common ground if you're going to reach people. So for us, are we finding common ground? And for Paul, Paul's the one writing this. To the weak, he becomes weak. To the poor, he becomes poor. Paul was able to find common ground with a lot of people. He was a Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He found common ground with Jews. He was a Roman. He had common ground with Romans. He knew how to suffer. He knew how to do with with much. Who do you already have common ground with? People in your same stage of life? People in your neighborhood? Who do you have common ground with? Similar likes. Are you you snowmobilers? (laughs) You know, find other people that like to snowmobile. There's common ground there. So we find common ground. This is in your notes. Intentionally, intentionally find common ground with unsaved people. We don't cut ourselves off. We find common ground with them. Now, turn to Romans 10. This is our passage for the day, Romans 10. This is page 654 in this Bible. Now, I encourage you, what we do is we're going to be going through one main passage each Sunday. And I would encourage you, when we go through that main passage, read it in your Bible. We use the ESV, but you can have your own. But read it. Wow, we only have one Bible left in the back. Anybody want it? Anybody need a Bible? I'll bring more next week. Uh, But I encourage you to, to read it. The peripheral verses, because we'll refer to other ones, will appear up here, but the main passage doesn't. And here's the reason. My heart is that you become people of the word. Not people that just listen to what other people tell you to believe, but that you become people of the word. So you open it up, you read it, you see it, and you go, Derek's not lying to me. You know, I've said it before. I've I've offended people in the past saying, every now and then, I'm going to misquote scripture just to test if you're reading it yourself. (laughs) I probably won't do that, but I, I would plead with you, read it yourself. This is the authority, not me. So Romans 10, page 654, turn there. Romans 10, and we're going to see a picture now of evangelism, of the process of evangelism and where we fit in this. So Romans 10, starting in verse 9, Paul writes this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't have that verse memorized, I encourage you to memorize it. Because that's our goal, right? Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And I've now sent you to do the same. What are we doing when we're seeking and saving the lost? We want people to get to this point where they believe in their heart 
where they confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart God raised them from the dead. That's our goal with ourselves and with others. So let me, let me draw this picture real quick here. Forgive me for my crude drawings, if you would. Oh, he looks angry. Okay, there's our goal. That is somebody humbly submitted to God. I thought about trying to draw Jesus, but I thought it would just be an insult to Jesus. So, so Jesus is the light, he's shining, and our goal is humbly submitted to him. Confessing with our mouth, Jesus as Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we're going for. This is, uh, I'm not sure if this is in your notes. Saving faith is not mere intellectual agreement, but deep inward trust in Christ at the core of one's being. That's from the ESV study Bible. That is, I can't word it better, so I'll just use that. Saving faith is not mere intellectual agreement, meaning it's not knowing things about Jesus. Being around Christians doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing things about Jesus does not make you saved. Saving faith is not mere intellectual agreement, but deep inward trust. Faith, trust in Christ at the core of one's being. That's why this is the picture that, that shows it. This isn't somebody that just knows stuff. Humbly submitted to Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what we're going for. Now let's read on, please. Look at verse 10, Romans 10, 10. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. That means made right with God. Belief, justified. You're, you're saved by your belief in Jesus Christ. Um, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Again, our, our relationship with God is personal, but it's not private. It's a pu there's a public proclamation. That's when we baptize, that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming Jesus as Lord. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that beautiful? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like we're all out there drowning, and there's the Coast Guard driving around, and those who say, help, okay, we'll pull you out. But many people are going to drown there simply because they don't yell, help. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is actually a quote from the prophet Joel. And Joel is referring to the Lord here as Yahweh. And here Paul is using the same, the same phrase referring to Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God, Jesus as divine. Cry out to Jesus, the God-man, and you will be saved. Look at verse 14. Here, here we're starting to get practical, okay? Verse 14. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? So, how can somebody call on God to be saved if they don't believe in him? You get what I'm saying? So, here's, here's the next picture. Again, forgive me for the crudeness. First, you've got to believe. Then you can be humbly submitted. 
Maybe you, you've heard it said, as long as somebody is genuine about their belief, they're fine. As long as you have faith in something, you're good. And I've, I've heard that said. No. <laughs> you have to have faith in the right thing. Christianity is not about just faith in something, not like all religions are true. There is truth. And so the faith must be based on the truth of Scripture that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He did die on the cross for your sins. He did rise again. And by faith, you can be saved. So there must be right belief. So that's what he writes. He says, before, how can they call, verse 14, how will they call on them whom they have not believed? You must have right belief. Don't let anybody deceive you and say, as long as you genuinely believe something, you're good. If I genuinely believe I can fly, does that make it true? <laughs> I can run and jump off a cliff, and guess what? My kids get some nice life insurance, but I'm not going to fly. So we, it must be based on truth, truth found in Scripture. This is in your notes. In order for someone to possess saving faith, they must first have correct belief that Jesus died and rose again. Now look back at verse 14 with me. It says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? So, in order for somebody to, that is a horrible picture. In order for somebody to be humbly submitted, they must first believe. In order for someone to believe, they must first hear the message, okay? Jesus is Lord. Okay, so that's an ear. I'll give him another so it doesn't look too stupid. Okay, so before somebody can have correct belief, they must hear the message. They must hear the message that God loves us. Sin separated us from God. We've all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God loves us so much he sent his son to die on the cross. Oh, that rugged cross, our salvation. And just simply by faith, belief in him, we could be saved. So they must hear the message. This is in your notes. Under 14b, before someone can have correct belief about Jesus, they must hear the truth. Look back at verse 14 with me. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? So now we have one more step here. And this one's going to be awful. There we go. That's awesome. That's somebody preaching. Here, let's give them a... Let's give just like you guys. Is that Peter? <laughs> <laughs> He's holding a Bible. So he is sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Let's go with that. In order to ha have be humbly submitted to Jesus, you must have correct belief in Jesus, who he is. In order to have correct belief, you must hear the message. In order to hear the message, someone must speak the message. This, this puts a lot of onus on us, doesn't it? Look at that. Somebody must speak. Well, if God wants to save people, why won't he speak to them directly? For some reason, God has made you and I, Christians, the temple of God on earth. We are God's dwelling place on earth for some reason. When I get there, I'm going to ask him what he was thinking. But he has chosen to live his life through you and me. He has chosen to do nothing on this earth apart from his church. 
That's why we focus so much on prayer before. Prayer is effective. Let me encourage you, if you have not participated in our prayer groups Saturday morning at 9, Sunday morning at 9, please come. It's a beautiful time of us beseeching God together. And I believe, I do believe, the more we do that, the greater impact we'll have in our city. I'm going to tell it's true. I believe it's true. Test me in this. <laughs> Let's test God in this. Let's get together. Let's pray and see what God will do. So somebody must preach. And again, it begins with prayer. Now, I want to address real quick a prevalent false teaching in Christianity, a prevalent false teaching in the church. And I think some of it comes from this word preach. Because when we think preach, what do we think? <laughs> what I'm doing right now. That's right. It's my job. That's what we pay you for. When we think preach, we think somebody in vocational ministry, somebody gifted in speaking. How many people are gifted in speaking? Not a lot. Do you know that the number one fear is public speaking? Number two is death. <laughs> number one fear is public speaking. We're not all public speakers. And so we get this idea of preach. That's for the professionals. That's for somebody gifted in that. But that's not what this word means. That word preach is deceiving. You know, maybe you've heard this. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to do that. People with the gift of evangelism, they share their faith. They tell people about Jesus, but I don't have that gift. I have the gift of introversion, and I get to stay home. <laughs> that also is a deception. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now, is evangelism a gift? Some will say it's not. I believe it is a gift. I believe the Bible teaches that there is a gift of evangelism. I understand those who say it's not a gift, it's an office in the church, it's a position of leadership. I understand that, but I do think it's a gift. I think there are some people that are uniquely gifted with a heart to just share the message and people respond. I wish I had that gift. I don't. I've been accused of having that gift because I have a heart to do exactly what we're doing, but I don't have that gift. I've asked God to give me that gift, and I don't think he's given it to me, and I think part of the reason is he wants me to lead a group of Christians and if I'm gifted in evangelism, you guys could sit there and go, well, he's gifted in it. So, of course he's doing it. I'm not gifted in it. And I think God did that on purpose so that you guys can, can go, well, he's not gifted and now I feel guilty. I have to do it too. That's not the point. I don't want you to feel guilty. But I'm in this with you. <laughs> I, I don't have this gift. Think about it. How many other gifts are there in scripture that because you don't have, you don't have to do? There's a gift of mercy. If you don't have that, that gift, do you have to be merciful? Yes, there's a gift of compassion. If you don't have the gift, are you free to be a jerk? <laughs> no, there's a gift of giving. If you don't have the gift of giving, does that mean you don't have to be a generous and sacrificial giver? No. So there are gifts, but yet we as Christians, as we grow, as we become more and more humbly submitted to God, these things flow through us. Evangelism is one of those. Sharing our faith is one of those. Let me prove that to you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the great commission. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That it's as you go in, in life. So this isn't just preachers. This isn't just missionaries. This is you as you go to work, as you go to school. As you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe 
or obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He tells his disciples to teach others to obey all of his commands. He just gave a command to go make disciples. So they're told to teach obedience to this command also. Do you get that? Because some will argue, well, well, that was a command just to the disciples, but no. They were told to pass that on. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, tradition holds, history shows that a lot of the disciples did make it to the known ends of the earth. They went a long way. But did any of the original disciples, apostles, make it to America? They didn't. Well, who's in America? Well, you and me. There are still places where the gospel has not gone. The truth is, this, this command to be a witness, to evangelize, it goes to all disciples, even if you're not gifted in it. We're, we're called to do this. We're called to witness. And look back at verse 14 with me real quick. Let me, let me read that. Verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Use words. Maybe you've heard it said, witness always and when necessary use words. That's not a very good statement. It is a good statement in that your life should show Jesus. You should be incarnational, meaning Jesus should be living through you. You should be a loving person, a giving person. So yes, you should be witnessing always in your action. But I don't like the part when necessary, use words, because if you're going to lead somebody to Jesus, you have to use your words. You know, I pictured kids learning to talk, right? And some of them know sign language or whatever, and, you know, they want the, they want the Oreos. <laughs> you know, and you say, hey, you, use your words. Use your words, please. <laughs> you know, we need to do that with Christians. Use your words. <laughs> you know, no, I'm just going to serve my neighbor and they'll see Jesus in me. Well, they maybe, yeah, wrong. Maybe they'll see Jesus in you, but they won't know the details. They won't know the details to have right belief to call on the right God. We got to use words. We have to use the words given to us in scripture. It takes words for people to believe. Use your words. Um, I don't think I put anything in your notes on that. Now, let's get practical here real quick. Why don't we do this? Why is the evangelism the, the E word? Why are we so scared? You know, I guess I could have us raise our hand if we're nervous about doing this. You know, why is it we feel, guys, like we're asking a girl out for the first time when we go to share, you know, we go all clammy and nervous and, and it gets hard. Well, why were you scared to ask a girl out? You're scared of rejection. It's often the same. We don't share our faith because we're scared of rejection, aren't we? Let's be honest. But if they reject the message, are they rejecting you or are they rejecting Jesus? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message. And I'll be honest, most will probably reject the message. The road is narrow and few there are that will find it. But that doesn't mean we need to stop speaking. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus. And, and how was Jesus with rejection? Do you remember his life? How did he deal with rejection? Pretty good. <laughs> he was okay with it. He was fine with it. We should be fine with it too. So here's my advice. Just get over that one. Um, the, <laughs> the second one is we're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing, aren't we? Well, I'm going to mess it up. I don't know enough. I don't know enough to share it correctly in the right order. I'll tell you, that's a deception from the devil. 
It is. I think the enemy puts that in our mind. You don't know enough. You're not smart enough. I think that's one of the very negative sides of Christianity in America becoming a classroom. That discipleship becomes going to a class and learning all the stuff about the Bible. And then three years later, maybe you can go share your faith. But what do we see in the New Testament? Remember the woman at the well? Jesus meets her. She's going to draw water. He says, hey, give me a drink. What are you doing talking to me? You know, he just strikes it up. They have this wonderful conversation. Right away, she goes running off into the city. Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. How much did she know? Almost nothing. <laughs> she knew who Jesus was. Jesus told her he was the Messiah she had been waiting for. And apparently she believed it. That's all she knew. Here's the Messiah. And she ran and said, come see, come see, come see. And they probably asked details. She went, I don't know. Just come see. <laughs> and the whole city came out. He ended up staying there for days teaching all of them because this one, one woman ran in and just told what she knew. The first disciples that he called, you know, he came to one. He said, hey, follow me. And the person would start to follow. And then they would run and get, you know, a brother, a cousin, a friend and say, hey, I just met the one who the prophets told us about. What? Who? Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth. Come, come see. They, didn't, they were not hesitant to go tell people. They didn't know much at all. They knew hardly anything. So don't let that deceive you. You can do the same thing the woman did. Just come and see. You don't have to know everything. But you can bring, it to the small, bring them to a small group. You can bring them here. When we launch, we'll be ready to go. But bring them in. You can just say, come and see. Come over to dinner with me. You know, I don't, need, I don't have all the answers, but we can open up the Bible. I can Google some things, and we can figure it out. But don't let that chase you away. Don't let that scare you, please. So what do we say? What do we say? It's as easy as telling a story, and it's telling two stories. The first story you tell is your story. Just like the woman who went out, and she said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. The first story is your story. I told you a story at the beginning of the message, a story about me, a story about how God showed up with me. That was a recovery testimony. That was, that was a, a, a story of how God did something in my life. And hopefully at the end, you would go, I want that piece too. <laughs> and then boom, I could lead into God's story. But there's two stories. It can be your testimony, how you came to know Jesus, or it can be a recovery testimony. Now, we gave you a handout to help you with this. Share your story. Okay, uh, salvation testimony begins, I haven't always been a Christian. Describe your life. I realized I needed Jesus and received him into my life both. And, and you just kind of go through this. Here's your homework this week. Fill this out. Do this. Practice it so that you can tell a story, either, either your salvation or your, your recovery testimony in less than three minutes. Learn how to tell your story. A story that points to Jesus. So you tell that story. That's the first one. This is in your notes. Practice evangelism by first telling your story, either your conversion story or a recovery story. It should be easy. It should be short. You know, there's some other instructions on there on how to tell your story. It should point to Jesus. Now, real quick, before we move on to the second story, it's important for us to earn the right to share our story. How do you earn the right to share your story? In two weeks, we're going to talk about servant evangelism. And that's where we'll learn a little bit more about how we earn the right to share our story. But think about this. Evangelism, the people that we want to reach, they're not a project. Do you get that? They're, they're not a goal to be won. They're a soul deeply loved by their creator. They're someone that you should be loving too. 
So they're not a project. You don't get a notch in your belt for everybody that, that comes to faith because of your testimony. And so, care. Think about it. What do people love to talk about more than anything else? Themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. So ask them their story. And when do people love talking about themselves? When the other person cares. When the other person remembers the things they've said. When the other person asks questions and cares. I know when somebody cares or not. You know, I was working this week. I was doing a job, and the neighbor sees me over there and says, Hey, how you doing? You don't care. <laughs> Fine, thanks. How are you? But when you ask somebody, how you doing? So there's, there's a relational aspect here. There's the come and see, but there's a relationship. As you build relationships, they know you care. You ask them their story, they get to share. Eventually, they're going to want to know your story. And boom, you get to share your story. You get to share what God has done for you. There's no way I can share any story about my life that doesn't have Jesus at the core. There isn't. So we, but this is something we practice. So we earn the right to share our story. And then after you tell your story, you tell God's story. After you tell your story, you tell God's story. Now, I was going to show the video, but I didn't. But I'm going to walk back here real quick because I forgot to grab one before. I'm glad this room is so small. We got a bunch of these on the back. It's called the story. I got like 400 of them. Grab it. Look through it. It's really easy. It makes it easy for people like me. But you can just go through. There's four points to this story. Creation. Creation. God created the world. He created it good. He created you and me to be in relationship with him. In the garden, we were in, it was beautiful. Skip the page. There it is. Creation. Fall. This is also in your notes if you want to look at that. Um, but telling God's story, is it in there? Yes, creation, fall, sin is vital. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So you have to touch on the fall. You know, how did we, why does the world suck? <laughs> I shouldn't say that word. Why is the world such a horrible place? Why is there so much pain and suffering? Because of sin. People need to hear that. But then the rescue. The rescue. So there's creation, fall, rescue. God loves us so much he did something about it. He sent his son to die on the cross. They need to hear the message of the rescue. And then there's one more point, and that's restoration. Because that's our hope. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's going to restore all things. Sin is going to be done with. We're going to be in perfect relationship. I can't wait. It's going to be great. That's God's story. Creation, Fall, rescue, restoration. Use this. By the way, there's an app. Uh, it's called The Story. Get the app. It's really cool. And there's a video on there. So these are things that you can use. If you get to this point talking to somebody, pull out the app. Let them watch the video. It's, I think, three minutes long. Have, have these. Give these to people. Please grab these and take them with you. I got a bunch so that we can take them and, and use them. Go through it. We need tools. <laughs> the world we live in right now, we, we need some tools. So that's the story. Again, what is evangelism? It is the spirit-led communication of the gospel of the kingdom in such a way or ways that recipients have a valid opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and become responsible members of his church. So when you get to tell God's story, at the end, give them an opportunity to respond. It's okay. You're not a Jesus salesman, okay? You're not pleading with them Okay, you know what I mean? It's not like you get points with God. 
But you're praying, hopefully the whole time, that God will stir their heart. And at the end, you can say, would you like to know how you can have this life too? Can I pray with you that you would accept Jesus Christ? They could say no. Okay, well, maybe you have a chance later. But give them an opportunity to respond. And we're going to start doing this more. Once we launch, we're going to do this in the service some. We're not going to be one of those that every Sunday it's just the gospel message and we do an altar call every week. But we are going to do altar calls. We are going to ask people to respond. When we do that, pay attention so that you can do that elsewhere. But give people an opportunity to respond. Now look back at our passage, Romans 10, one more verse, verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, humbly submitted to Jesus as Lord is based on right knowledge. You have to have right knowledge of God first. But in order to do, have right knowledge, you must hear the gospel, the good news. In order to hear, somebody must speak. In order for somebody to speak, this is awful. This guy's running. They must be sent. So, There's a bunch of people over here. There we go. So in order for somebody to preach, they must be sent. Who does the sending? Who does the sending? The church. There's onus on the church to be sending people out. But also, of course, we have God himself doing the sending. So God sends, the church partners with God to send. Now there are those who are gifted that need to be sent. They need to be financed and sent to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to, to be missionaries. But at the same time, we are all sent where we are, our homes, our neighborhoods, our work. So I want you, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ as Lord, you're sent. I'm sending you. In the power of Jesus Christ, I'm sending you. The church common ground is sending you. Jesus Christ is sending you. Go get them. That's why right there at the door going out, it says, you're a missionary. Go make disciples. You're a missionary. Go make disciples. But what did Jesus say before and after the Great Commission? Before, he said, all authority has been given to me. Go. You go in Jesus' authority. And at the end, he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. We go with Jesus' authority. We go with Jesus' presence. Gives me chills. <laughs> Why wouldn't we go? Why wouldn't we go? We're sent. We're sent. If you've, if you've wondered, I wonder if I'm sent. Now you know. You're sent. If you're in school, you guys are in school. You're, you're sent to your school. You're sent to your school. Go. Share. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let me pray, and then I have one more thing to share with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your message. God, there's a danger in this message. The danger is that we go do in our own strength. The danger is that we feel...